We are so blessed with our youth. I just, that was really wonderful. Um, really excited about Reggie being here. If you, if you haven't met Reggie McNeil, he's a church consultant uh, who we've worked with for quite some time. Uh, lives down in um, South Carolina and just a phenomenal speaker. And uh, I just, he's been such a great gift for our church and I'm really excited. Usually on 4th of July weekend, uh, we have a picnic outside in the courtyard and wonderful time of community. Uh, we have normally our junior class in high school are coming back from Honduras at that point. They've usually spent about a week, week and a half in Honduras. And so we, we talk about Honduras a lot and this year we were not able to go. And we thought, what a neat opportunity for us to be able to, to celebrate with Reggie and have him come. And um, he's so funny. So Trevor was saying, which is so dead on right now, you know, coming out of COVID, there's so much need uh, for pastoral care and, and really highlighting our, our Stephen ministers. And Reggie and I were talking about this the other day. And he said, yeah, coming out of COVID, everyone, they're either a hunk, a chunk, or a drunk. <laughs> They spent 14 months working out or a couple other things. So <laughs> there's a lot of need out there. We've been in a, a series looking at just a, a variety of books from the New Testament. And, um, you know, part of our goal is just get our church back into reading the Word. And, and I, it's just so critical, especially, like I say, at this time in, in the season. Man, um, we need to be spending every time our time every single day reading the Bible. And so, I, you know, just so critical. And especially right now, because we've been told, you know, you just can't trust anything right now. You can't trust the news. You can't trust your politicians. You can't trust, you know, just everything. Scientists, elections, all that. And, and I think, you know, clearly I want you to hear, you can trust the Bible. One of my most important jobs, you know, I have a lot of hats, but I've always felt one of my most important jobs that I have is, is to get you to center your lives around the biblical narrative. I, you can't do that if you don't read it. And, and so part of what we're trying to do is just set you up to read the Bible every day. And we have a concurrent study guide that goes along with this material. Um, and so we've been trying to, to help introduce every book of the New Testament, or at least a lot of them. Now, each book of the New Testament is a reflection on Jesus, right? And our lives as disciples should be a reflection of Jesus as well. The Bible said we're called to be living epistles. Other people might read God at work in and through our lives. And, and we need to reflect Jesus more and more as we mature as disciples. So today, we're going to look at the letter Hebrews. And, you know, I'll tell you, Hebrews has always fascinated me. It's kind of the mystery book in, in the New Testament. You know, it's, it's not a story like the Gospels and Acts. It's not a narrative. And it's not a, a letter like Paul's letters, you know, uh, or any other New Testament letter for that matter. And it's not an apocalyptic vision like Revelation. Hebrews is really a sermon. And like any sermon, it was designed specifically for a group of people about some issues that they're struggling with. That's what a good sermon should be. It's a specific group of people to help them in the trenches of life. 
And the author of Hebrews doesn't ever name who the author is. And I think we need to understand that. And there's a lot of theories. I don't want to spend much time on this, but I think some of it's important. A lot of theories as to who wrote Hebrews. Um, and, and we really don't know. Early on, someone said that Paul wrote the letter of Hebrews, and that stuck as much as anybody. But if you spent mo- much time with Paul, uh, you know, the, the Greek grammar and the vocab, it's, it's not Paul. But more important, his writing style, Paul follows a very specific format for writing. And, and it, this is very different. Paul is always very precise. He, he always and signing the letter, and he talks about there's always biographical material, what's going on in his life, and he's saying hello to the people. None of that's in there. One of the earliest theologians of the church, a man named Origen, he lived about 185 to 253 A.D., so very, very, very early on. He kind of thought it was Paul, but in the end he said, as to who wrote the letter, God only knows, you know. And in the end, it doesn't matter, I guess is the point, who wrote it as much as when it was written, and who it was written for. This is where we really start to understand what it means for our lives. Most likely it was written in Rome during Nero's reign. And this was the first time the Christians were persecuted. So maybe the late 50s to, you know, early mid-60s A.D. And this is very important. Because it is. It's when the Christians were being persecuted. And, and I'll be up front. A lot of the themes that you're going to read about in Hebrews, they're not really your dinner conversation anymore. Starts out telling us Jesus is greater than angels. And then we hear about God's plan for, you know, in Psalm 95, for rest. That's part of what they just read. Uh, and then we talk about the priest Melchizedek. And then we get a list of the furniture that's in the tabernacle. And then we get a whole lot of information on Old Testament sacrifice. And then it ben- basically ends telling us we need to go outside the camp. Pretty much not going to be our, you know, top ten list of topics that we discuss, uh, you know, in Christians when they come together, at least. But there is so much for us if we listen. Hebrews was a sermon written for Christians who had recently been Jewish. They were raised Jewish. And they converted from Judaism. Written in, we do know Rome. Uh, It was written to, to a group in Rome. And the point is, they were just starting to experience persecution. And they were thinking about going back to Judaism to escape persecution. That would be the safe choice, right? I mean, just no question. It was safe for them. It was safe for their families. That's why so many of these Old Testament topics come up. And we need to understand it. The reason it's called Hebrews is because... It refers to the Hebrew scriptures so much. Hebrews goes through what we think of as the Old Testament, but they thought of it as the Hebrew scriptures, one by one by one by one. And, and they show how all of the Hebrew scriptures were pointing toward Jesus, the whole thing. Hebrews says the Old Testament scriptures were not complete, but Jesus completed them. Hebrews says Jesus is greater than anything that you might read in the Old Testament scripture. God among us in Jesus fulfilled everything in the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 1, we we get this whole part about Jesus being superior to the angels because what it's saying is Jesus is the son of God. 
Then in chapter 2, we are reminded that he is still fully human, fully divine, fully human. Next, chapter 3 and chapter 4 tell us that Jesus is the true Joshua who leads God's people into the true promised land. Then in chapters 5, 6, and 7, we learn God called Jesus to be the high priest forever. Jesus is greater than any of the high priests. And it takes a long time, five, six, and seven, uh, and, and it kind of goes down a rabbit trail. And, and if you really want to know, uh, you know, he's, he's not the high priest from the, the, the tribe of Aaron is the point. He's the, from the tribe of Melchizedek, and that goes back to the Old Testament. And um, the point is, you, you can't be part of the tribe of Aaron and be the next thing we're going to look at, which is part of David's lineage, because they were supposed to come from two different families, but the tribe of Melchizedek was a priestly clan that were called. They weren't, it wasn't just because you were born into the thing, and, and it gets a little convoluted, but the point is, the readers understood this. It was very important for them. That was a big hang-up. Jesus connects us as the high priest to God, because that was what the priests did. But he did this on a whole different level than any high priest has ever done. So the first seven chapters, they teach us Jesus is the Son of God, fully human, fully divine. Like Joshua, he leads his people to the real promised land, where he will reign as king forever. And it's important that we get that the, the kids just read part of that too. This job of the high priest, the high priest, their job was to connect people to God. But Jesus is called to be the, the forever priest through whom we can connect to God forever. Because following Jesus, the author of Hebrews wants us to know, is the only way. So Hebrews teaches us a new way to read the Old Testament. And it's saying the Hebrew scriptures are not fulfilled until in Christ God accomplishes them. Hebrew scriptures were a record of God's story with one people, Israel, no question. But the Hebrew scriptures are pointing to something, something they don't contain. They're pointing to what would be the ultimate act of love for God's people. They're pointing to the ultimate act of salvation, the ultimate act of grace, of forgiving us of the things that we've done. How we harm ourselves, how we harm our relationship with one another, and how we harm our relationship with God. All of the Hebrew scriptures point to Jesus. In Hebrew scriptures, they record the mighty acts of God. But for every single act in the Old Testament, Hebrews is saying Jesus is greater. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is superior to the angels. He is greater than Joshua because Jesus leads us to the real promised land. Jesus is greater than King David, greater than the Messiah. The real Messiah is Jesus. Mashiach, Messiah is the, is the term for the King of Israel. He is greater than the Old Testament high priest because he restores our relationship with God. And he offers us a new covenant. The Old Testament looks forward to this new covenant where our sins will finally be dealt with one and for all. This old covenant, the one between God and Israel, it was temporary. And they always expected a more permanent solution. 
And the solution was Jesus and his cross. When he was crucified, this long, age-long plan was fulfilled. The unfinished story was complete. You can't understand Hebrews unless you understand this letter was written to Jews who recently converted to Christianity who knew these Old Testament stories back and forth and they were tempted to go back to Judaism to escape persecution. I mean, it's the same God, it's the same Abraham, it's the same God of Jacob, it's what they knew. It was very comfortable for them to return back to what they knew and the real driver was this return to escape persecution. If we just go back to the old days, it's all going to be good. It's all going to be okay. We won't be persecuted. Yahweh, Abraham, Moses, the Exodus, the temple, the sacrifices, the Psalms. We want to go back to what we knew. And see, Hebrews, above all, is just saying you can't go back. You can't go back. Everything you were taught when you were Jews, everything you were told to expect... It's all been fulfilled on the cross. There's a new era, a new kingdom. Jesus fulfilled it all. Everything in the Hebrew Scriptures described that this would happen. They look forward to this happening. How can you go back to the expectations of the Messiah when the Messiah has come? God calls from the future, not from the past. You can't go back. Israel's salvation history was always leading us to Jesus. The cross was where it was always heading all along. Jesus was the final sacrifice. The sacrificial system of the Old Testament, it's obsolete. You don't need to go back to sacrificing animals. People had a hard time today with the concept of sacrifice. In our world, sacrifice is totally out of style, right? I mean, we don't want to sacrifice anything at all. We don't want to ever go without. We're cold. We need to get everything we can. Don't leave any scraps on the table for anybody. I mean, whatever you leave, you've lost. You know, one of the worst, scariest heresies that I think is going on in modern Christianity today is this move to extract sacrificing for others from Christianity. I don't know how that even makes sense if someone's read the Bible. Because it's the heart of Jesus' teachings. Because Jesus talked about living for others. He talked about loving our neighbors and praying for those who persecute us. You know, if somebody asks for your coat, Jesus said, give them your cloak as well. The other day on Facebook, somebody posted a Thomas Merton quote, and you know, said, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they're worthy. If someone needs help, a disciple helps. It's not our job to figure out, you know, who's worthy and who's not. That's a fallacy. And, and people are saying this is in the Bible. It's not. We're just supposed to help. Even when it costs us something, we're supposed to help. Even when we have to sacrifice something, 
when we have to go without for someone else? See, this is a good thing if you're a disciple. Jesus calls us to do this. And if we want to be his follower, you know, we do what he does, right? But sacrificing is definitely countercultural today. But it shouldn't be counter-Christian ever. Because sacrifice is part of what it means to be fully human. God created this way, us this way. And Hebrews reminds us we were made to be under God and we were made to be over the world. We're meant to be caretakers of God's creation. And that was an act of worship, creating, being, being, being caretakers of creation. That includes how we take care of our bodies, right? It includes what we do with our bodies, what we put into our bodies. It all matters. But not just our bodies. How we take care of God's creation and how we treat others who live here. It's part of our call as human to be stewards of what God has created. And we have this huge temptation, you know, to, to, to use what God created solely for our pleasure. And when you do this, you know, we, we live as if we've forgotten that God created it in the first place. Calls us to watch it for him. And I think we start telling ourselves, it's ours. And then we want what others have. And then we tell ourselves we should get as much as we can at the expense of everybody else. The one who has the most is the winner. That's about as far from Jesus as you can get. Jesus' life was given in sacrifice. And we've talked about this so much, but you know, a disciple, by definition, is a follower. You're going to be a disciple of Jesus. You're going to be a follower of Jesus. And when, when you're a follower of someone, you go where they go. You do what they do. If we believe Jesus sacrificed, what does that mean for his followers? When we sacrifice something, we're symbolically saying God is the creator. And I have no right over this little bit of creation without him. So why sacrifice is, it's an act of worship in the Old Testament. A sacrifice, an offering, that was the central act of worship in the Old Testament. It wasn't a message. It was the sacrifice. But that's not all, because there's something deep within us, I think, that sacrifice reminds us of. It's an awareness that things are wrong. And they need to be made right. And the way that that's going to happen... It's going to involve my whole life if it's really going to be set right. You know, liberal theologians have tried to get rid of sin over the last about 100 years, 150 years, if, if your history of, uh, if you understand the history of theology. And they've tried to show, you know, various 
theories of atonement, which is how we're made right with God, you know, basically, through the cross. Uh, they've, they've tried to kind of show how they're no longer necessary, and they're no longer important, and we progress beyond that, and we don't even, we progress beyond sin. But the problem is, shame and guilt hasn't gone away. Shame and guilt is very, very, very common. And there's times that, frankly, we need to be forgiven. And there's times that we need to be cleansed of the things that we've done and washed clean. And that's not something we can do for ourselves. Which is why they came up with this system of sacrifice in the Old Testament in the first place. So that we could offer the things that brought the guilt and the shame to God. And we could be cleansed of them. It's why the letter to Hebrews reminds us that the sacrifice of Jesus himself was the one true sacrifice that the Old Testament system of sacrifices was waiting for. I mean, they were just kind of a placeholder for the cross. I mean, a sacrificed bull or, or, or a goat, it's not really going to take away sin. What the Old Testament sacrifices did was they, they pointed forward, the, the letter to Hebrews says, they pointed forward to the one and only sacrifice that would actually wash us clean. Leave us with a clean conscience. Hebrews is saying that was the plan all along. From the moment of creation, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that was the moment that true freedom would be possible. We can be washed clean. And that's a message we need today. Because guilt and shame and memories, they become baggage. And we take them from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship, and wherever you go, there you are. But you can be free, washed clean. This is so important. I think especially on Father's Day as we're coming back from 2020. Because how many ways have all of us failed in the last year and a half? How have we failed ourselves? How have we failed others? How much guilt and baggage and uh, how much are we dragging around? And we might want to get back to following Jesus right now. But all this, you know, the, 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 just the numbers of destructive habits that we've accumulated on the way over the shutdown. I, I, I'm a pastor. I know. I talk with people about this stuff. It's real. I hear about it every day. I mean, so many of us, we're, we're just not proud. Not proud of the last year and a half. And the thought of starting the journey is just kind of overwhelming because I feel further away than ever. Hebrews is saying that moral deficit, it's been dealt with already because of the cross. We're clean, we're whole because Jesus has paid our debt and we can be set free to be fully human. 
I think on Father's Day especially, you know, remember, Hebrews was written to people who were being tempted to turn from their faith. And it was written to remind them you can't go back. And I think for fathers, we need to remember that fatherhood is calling. And once you've entered into it, you can't go back. You have a call. You have a purpose. Something that no one else can fulfill for your children. It's an amazing call. It's a really difficult journey. But as difficult as it can be, God is greater. So where are you being tempted? And Hebrews was written for people who are being persecuted for their faith. How are we being persecuted today? Are we being persecuted today? And if not, should we be? Should we put ourselves in positions where we might be persecuted? What if we're not? Finally, Hebrews. Hebrews was written to remind us that there is salvation in and through Christ. There's forgiveness. There is restoration. There's a new beginning. There's Jesus. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you on this day for hope, for new beginnings. I thank you for the call you've placed upon so many men in our congregation to minister in ways that no one else can. And we ask your blessings upon them. And for all of us, Lord, There isn't one of us who doesn't need a new beginning. Wash us clean. Make us anew. Make us a resurrection people. In your son's name we pray. Amen.